Hey listeners, welcome to another episode of Brown Girls Read podcast. This is your host Aman Tiwana and this is Kathy Thakur and both of us love reading books. On this podcast we bring our favorite books to you and discuss the parts that were most meaningful to us and how we found them interesting or relatable as brown girls. Today we are discussing Cast: The Origins of Our Discontents by Isabel Wilkerson. An eye-opening examination of what lies beneath the surface of ordinary lives. This hidden phenomena of caste. Linking America, India and Nazi Germany, Wilkerson reveals how our world has been shaped by caste and how its rigid, arbitrary hierarchies still divide us today. I just have one thing to add before we go on to the discussion. If you haven't read this book, please do. it will change your perspective on how the world operates and how it has been operating since the very beginning the hierarchy that has been established the systemic breakdown of subordinate and marginalized castes and how people in the higher castes continue to do the same even today it will make you think about the reality that we have been avoiding i agree this book is a must read and we want to let all of you listeners know that we are also discussing caste in our book club this month So let us know on Instagram if you want to join in. Our Instagram is Brown Girls Read Pod, and the link is also in the episode description. Okay, so let's get to the discussion. Yeah, in the first chapter, she starts by talking about the 2016 election, and I remember that evening really well. It was so much more than just shock. It was like disbelief that somehow some practical joke has happened on the entire country. I know that as immigrants as people who are not citizens or permanent residents of this country we probably don't follow politics as much but even then from the tidbits about this person it was evident that he is bad news for minorities we actually saw that in the years to come forget years in the weeks in the months following the election there was so much hate crime exploding all over the country as if people were just hiding in the corners getting ready for someone to give them a green signal But before we go any further in this discussion I want to go back and ask if you remember the night when that douchebag won. Yes, I remember it very clearly. I was in my office in LA and we were all watching the elections together and people actually cried after he won. And we all came back to work the next morning and it was really like someone has died, you know, it was that somber. It was so quiet in the office like nobody wanted to smile or laugh or talk. It was really scary. I was with my friends that night and all of us were upset. The women were upset because we also missed a chance to have witnessed history with the first woman president of US among other things. Yeah. And also the horror of a neo-Nazi getting to power. But you know there was one guy in the group who had predicted it correctly. And it could be because he was following the news closely, but also knowing the guy i know that he carried an inherent bias against women in power he repeatedly questioned clinton's credibility to run the country a woman who has spent years in the field as opposed to a person whose credentials include being a reality tv judge and a businessman mainly because he was born into a family of privilege yeah i think a lot of people had this bias and i feel like that's the main reason why hillary didn't win Yeah, I think so too. I also remember that a lot of Indian Americans were Trump supporters at the time. And here again, I think caste in a way plays a role because we are model minorities. There are many rich and affluent people, especially in the Bay Area, and to me it seemed like all they cared about is the tax breaks. 
not at all about any positive changes for society as a whole not about the healthcare reforms not about progress for lgbtq communities not about women's reproductive rights and sadly that is the reason as isabel mentions that america despite being developed nation is so far behind other developed nations of the world when it comes to looking after its own citizens well you know all the things you talked about women's reproductive rights lgbt community rights and all that indians conveniently term all these things as non issues you know they just don't even want to accept that there is something like this in the society so why would they keep these issues over their tax breaks right yeah sadly you are right going back to after the 2016 elections i also remembered that some people are like this is not america or i don't recognize my country etc etc except that this was and is america and these were and are american people whether they have known and recognized it or not and i'm not just singling out america because like americans would point out that i have no right to because i'm an immigrant even though i pay taxes and contribute to everything else going on in the country but i still have no right to talk about it as my country i get it anyway so the point i wanted to make was that even in india we have elected a prime minister who is an extremist and has been spewing hatred for the minorities and based on that he was appointed as the leader who we choose to be our leader is a reflection of who we are so even though we can say that this is not our country it very much is so and it very much reflects the sentiments the thought process and the position of who we stand with and in both the cases america and india it has been made very evident that we are racists and sexists and extremists i love that isabel wilkerson did this research that has established that fair and square it'll be good if all of us instead of ignoring it or denying it just accept it and try to work together to change this yeah absolutely and we need to also realize that by accepting this hard truth we are not putting ourselves in prisons in fact that may be a liberation from the shackles of caste yeah right and you know one of the reasons this book challenged my thought process was that it opened up my eyes to this notion about caste that you know it's not a race issue in america it's actually the issue of caste you know i'm so glad that somebody presented this as the complex framework that it is because when you start thinking about it the caste system represents a human flaw the power struggle and when any power struggle goes unchecked it transcends and becomes something that then we start calling a systemic problem or tradition as is the case in our country the more i read about this framework the more i could relate it to gender inequality like if you think about it the dominant gender has created patriarchy and somehow the entire society is enlisted in it to uphold those quote unquote values of keeping women as the subordinate caste and men as the dominant caste yeah definitely you know when i read that women are considered the marginalized caste all over the world as like damn like <laughs> i have no chance <laughs> i know right but you know speaking of caste i also use the same framework in a different context i started thinking about body sizes in our society and how people get treated like the thin people comparable to the whites have put themselves at the top of this system and they think of themselves as genetically superior or something 
and then they judge the ones that they deem below them as lazy, unmotivated, gluttons, and it just doesn't end there. It manifests into the options that are then made available to people with plus size bodies, whether it's about shopping for clothes or finding right size chairs in places you go to or having to buy extra seat in airplanes because nobody's considering you when they are building all these areas where people sit in. Even when people go to get jobs because there's such a strong bias against them that they're lazy, unmotivated, obviously it plays a role. This is just like a huge part of how media represents certain aspects of our society as well. Like, I think media plays a huge role in all of this. Yeah, definitely. Media just like latches on to some stereotype and keeps solidifying it. You can see when it comes to people with plus size bodies, how they are just made fun of in media, right? And then you can also see how gender stereotypes exist. Even when it comes to race, you can see how people from subordinate caste are just portrayed as side characters who just die very quickly in the movie. Yeah, you know, there are so many movies that are being made, even in India, that are so like casteist and racist and also in the US as well, like in Hollywood. Right here, we should also talk about modern day racism because that's a huge part of what Isabel mentions. She says that over time, racism has been reduced to a feeling, a character flaw, conflated with prejudice, connected to whether one is a good person or not. And I think when that happens, it becomes very hard to have a conversation about it. You know, people will just defend themselves rather than talking about it. They'll deny it. Yeah, the world is like really polarized right now as it is. And on top of it, we are just busy being defensive. To this behavior, Isabel says, who is racist in a society where someone can refuse to rent to people of color, arrest brown immigrants, or display a confederate flag, but not be certified as a racist unless he or she confesses to it or is caught using derogatory signage or slurs? You know, this quote and this whole part where she's talking about how everything else can be defined by society's standards. Just racism is something that a person has to own for the person to be qualified as racist. I feel like that's just wrong in its inception, right? And you know, like in this book, she also says that we have to see people as existing on a scale based on the messages that they have been getting from their environment growing up. So this actually reminded me of something that happened. So I was watching this show called Kim's Convenience on Netflix. It's a sitcom about Asian immigrants in Canada. Like it's a very underrated sitcom. I love it. So in that, there's an episode where this Asian girl goes to a restaurant and accidentally she said something offensive to an African-American waitress there. Then she feels so bad after she realizes that what she said was offensive. So she goes back again the next day to apologize. And by mistake, she apologizes to a different African-American waitress because she couldn't tell one face <laughs> from the other. <laughs> and it was really funny. But you know, like in if it happened in reality, which I'm sure it happens, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, she would be called racist. But when I was watching the show, I was like, sometimes I cannot differentiate between Asian faces. And I have heard my white friends say that they can't tell two brown people from each other. Watching that episode, it hit me that it's not that we are racist if we feel that way. It's because we understand so little about that culture that we can't even distinguish at first glance. Like we can't even differentiate between human faces or biology in that culture. 
and now that might just be my contention and also i i think i could be like really wrong but think about it i don't know anything about chinese culture their dressing their food their language nothing how would i be able to differentiate between the physical traits of humans whose whose culture i don't know anything about and that is exactly what isabel says so instead of like taking this as a racism how about we just take it as ignorance and talk about it and learn about their culture it takes time and effort but doing that will take human civilization one step forward i feel we have been stuck at caste and race for so long it's time we move on and focus on bigger problems i know but i think people don't even want to learn that they are ignorant they are so righteous in their standpoint that if you call them ignorant they are just offended by that even that is like an attack as opposed to an opportunity to learn about something that you don't know about Yeah definitely that's so true i have felt that as well so what you were saying earlier about not being able to differentiate between faces i think it happens to all of us maybe that's how our brains work it's only natural for us or our brains to identify patterns we can distinguish people from our own country really well because we have learned that underlying pattern of faces for years and we will need that time and also need to put an effort to learn the patterns of other cultures and countries it's just training of brain we learn what we put in our brains but somehow when it comes to elements of racism or casteism people refuse to learn people refuse to learn especially when it comes to learning about other people or cultures whom they consider inferior even if subconsciously i can think of an example here which just came to me that some of my hindu friends actually one of them would always say i can't differentiate between men in turbans and i never thought too much about it but now i feel like it probably was because in india hindus think of themselves superior even if they don't realize it it is there because hindus are in majority so she never bothered to look at faces she would just see a person in a turban and that's it Oh that's interesting that you say that because i thought that sikhs were supposed to be the dominant caste not hindus <laughs> well if you go to battlefield maybe yes but i guess in terms of like country as a whole or also like politics plays a role it's another right. like very complicated problem that there is in india yeah yeah there's a very weird harmony between sikh sikh and hindu right like they like just they just like go so well together like they just don't mind having each other together i guess like i don't i know. actually grew up in a very harmonious place so even like muslims were around us there was never like an issue now you see news and you're like what is yeah. maybe not every place is like that yeah but yeah what i was trying to say with example of that friend was she hung out at my place regularly it's just that somewhere maybe bollywood has a role to play where sikhs are just presented as these like cartoon characters they're not like real I humans know. with anything right like and yeah. none of that is how punjabis behave none of yeah. that is like real <laughs> if you go there nobody talks like that but maybe that plays a role where people just think of you as lesser yeah that's very significant if it is happening within the indian culture but even like when you go to the us punjabi in their mind means like sikh so they're like why are you not wearing a turban i'm like dude <laughs> relax <laughs> i guess when we just stick to these stereotypes and continue to even perpetuate them further whether it's our fight to remain superior or attach closely with superiority or even just be better than the lowest rung is where we are getting it wrong 
since this is a book about caste, we can't not talk about the caste system in India. Reading about caste in this book reminded me of learning about the caste system in school. I don't remember which class it was, where we learned all these categories of caste like Brahmins, Kshatriyas. And I know that we don't learn things just in school. Society also teaches us a lot in our day-to-day life. But think about it. Caste is such a part of our fabric that it is being taught in schools. That to me feels so wrong. Oh my god, that's so true. Now that you reminded me, it's horrible. Why were we being taught all of this in school? I don't know. I hope there's more context to it, but I don't remember because it was so long ago. But I feel like it should be part of curriculum. Right. I come from a privileged caste, so maybe I didn't see it much or feel much about it, just learned it to write it in the exams. But I'm thinking, what about the kids who don't belong to the upper caste? Or is it that this thing is just normalized so much that no one cares at all? Yeah, I think it's just been normalized that much. I don't know. It's hard to comprehend for me. I think I would be triggered. Yeah, of course. Can you imagine? Like... (laughs) If someone had told me, I mean, like, if someone tells you that, you know, you're supposed to be from a lower caste, like, what the fuck, dude? Who told you this? Like, And also, there was things like, these are supposed to be the occupations of people from these castes, and, like, the lower castes were basically, like, janitors and stuff. You yeah. have your occupation determined by yeah. society, even before you're born. It just yeah, sucks. and... And it wasn't even being taught as like in a very derogatory sense, right? Like this was wrong. Like this, it wasn't being taught like that. It was just being taught as a matter of fact. Yeah, right. And I also learned from this book that there have been three main caste systems in the history. One is in Nazi Germany, which everybody condemns, which was actually the shortest living caste system. And I think that puts things into perspective a lot. I know. (laughs) And the next one, in terms of like the length and the life of this system is the US, which manifests as racism in the US. And the third one, which has lived for like a millennia, the longest living caste system (laughs) is our India. I feel horrible for laughing, but this is so sad. I know, sometimes when you're too tired, you somehow laugh, this is that. It actually makes me sick, you know, that it still lingers on. I know, yeah. And you know, like, it's horrifying how similar these caste restrictions in India and the US were, and also how similar it was to Nazi Germany, like all the rules that Nazis created. And all the while I was reading the book, I was thinking that in the US, these restrictions have been made illegal now. But in India, they're still being practiced. Dalits or people from the subordinate castes are not allowed to go to the temples even now. There have been countless cases of the dominant caste inflicting atrocities on subordinate castes in the villages in India even today. Women of subordinate castes get raped and the cops don't do anything about it. There are so many honor killings in India because people find it easier to kill their children rather than get them married in a different caste. And all this for what? To get good karma apparently. How are people not seeing an irony in this? I don't think it's about karma at all. Karma is a tool that this caste system uses to keep everyone in their place without causing any rebellion. Maybe that's why Indian caste system has prevailed for a millennia because it has been so cleverly intertwined with the religion. And you can't question religion, right? Because that would be blasphemy. That's right. And have you seen how people get so offended 
if someone breaks this system that has been set since ages schools in india have started keeping a 5% quota for kids from subordinate castes to get admissions in the good private schools and i've heard parents of the dominant caste complain about it and vehemently oppose it because apparently it will have a bad influence on their kids like wow how horrible can you go that just transcends the boundaries of being a horrible person i think you know what after reading this book i feel like i'm seeing this entire thing from a distance and all these things of people worrying about their kids getting the bad influence or whatever they're just excuses they just want to keep the lower castes in their place by using whatever excuses possible when parents can kill their own children because of marrying out of caste i don't believe in that extreme love for children anymore yeah i just feel course. like it's all about maintaining their status quo yeah right and this also reminds me there's a quote in the book where isabel says a caste system endures because it is often justified as divine will originating from sacred texts or the presumed laws of nature reinforced through the culture and passed down through the generations and i think that's what's happened right we have read all these books like mahabharat ramayan and the common theme that i feel is that all of them emphasize on this concept that some humans are just better than others they are more superior than others because of the families they are born into and then when you start analyzing these things after getting some distance from it it feels so wrong and like she says in the quote i feel it is just set up that way to oppress the considered inferiors or minorities and it's executed in a systemic way and is designed only to benefit the ones that have been placed on top definitely yeah and since we are talking about caste i have to ask how do you think you have benefited from your caste and in what way did you notice the caste system and its roots in your own life well in india you know definitely i have been benefited very basic thing like getting access to the best schools and colleges in the country while the kids of the same age as me from subordinate castes would come to our homes with their moms and clean our houses right another thing that you see is that these subordinate castes who come to our homes clean our houses or their janitors they have to drink water from a separate glass i as a dominant caste person never had to sit on the floor in front of someone else like these small things are so so demeaning that we take for granted every day like these are some things that even subordinate castes take as a norm every day they don't even question it yeah it's so normalized and they have seen their own parents and ancestors do the same so nobody questions it and it's just sad that the practice keeps going on even after it has been outlawed and like you said i've also seen families in india keeping that special glass for servants who belong to the lower class and that is kept separate from every other thing that you have in the house even as kid i remember a feeling uncomfortable but i did not know why i was uncomfortable with that or like what should i say what should i do because you don't understand the whole thing completely but how can you have the same person cook your meals with the same hands you consider untouchable make your tea and do all the work wash your utensils and then act like you are untouchable you can't drink in the same cup as us exactly and you know have you seen like in some of the very posh colonies of india like some of the very posh 
districts of India, they even have different elevators for subordinate castes. Oh, really? Like they're not, yeah, they, you're not supposed to go. I have heard that in South Bombay, they have different elevators for subordinate caste people. Oh my God, like, that's horrible. What the fuck? It feels like this is where they're saying we don't even want to inhale the same air as no, the people from subordinate caste. I feel it's like they're going out of their way to tell the lower class that you are lesser than us. Yeah. Right. There's no other point of this. Like, it's the same air. When they come to your house, it's still the same air. When they come right. to your house, they take care of your kids. It's the same thing. Yeah, exactly. Kids are supposed to be the most precious thing for parents, apparently. But they're allowed, <laughs> apparently to, touch not. <laughs> they're allowed to touch your kids, but they can't get in the same elevator. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it sucks, man. Like, it's so sad. And even, like, with servants, I've seen, like, sometimes when people offer them tea or something, they act so like generous and they tell themselves they are so much better than other people who probably don't give tea to their servant, even when they're doing like this separate class. Yeah, and that is just like a basic human thing, right? That you're doing. Yeah, to offer like some food and water to the person who works for you. Yeah. But like Isabel says, right, the caste system is actually rooted in this belief of being better than others which translates into being superior than others. So I guess the people in upper caste kind of keep telling themselves how they are better than others. And like you mentioned before, caste also transcends into crimes, right? Like how there are all these crimes against women. But if you start looking at the statistics, they are so disproportionate in accordance with the caste. And I feel like if you or I were walking at night in India, people might show up to help. But if there was like a Dalit woman, chances are really less that someone will stand up for her. And you know, when you see all of these cases in villages happening with with Dalit women, and you know that the police won't do anything because they think that, oh, they are from subordinate caste. Like, what could go wrong? Like, they have no rights in the country, right? So I guess that shows in this situation. Yeah, they take like full liberty, becoming as cruel as possible or just like not complying with the law when it comes to Dalits. because. Who's there to question them? Yeah, and I also think it goes back to what Isabel said in the book, right? Like, to treat a human being in that way, like African-Americans or like Dalits have been treated in India, you have to like consider them as not human beings and as property of your own, right? And you can see that like women, Dalit women or even Dalit men, they are considered just property of that can be used and just thrown away without any consequences. And yeah, even though India didn't have slavery to speak of, but still, like, people can't digest that Dalits are today getting education or they are making some money or they are no longer just existing to serve them. Right. I wonder if when British were ruling India, did that help in unifying India a little bit? Maybe, like, they just I don't think so. (laughs) They actually have divided people further because that was their policy. Divide and rule. Yeah. We were talking earlier about how you thought that religions kind of coexist when it comes to like Sikhs and Hindus. I kind of have a different view of it. Caste system also has transcended into religion in some ways. Like caste system basically is a Hindu concept. So there are like Brahmin, Kshatriyas, Vaishyas, and I think there's one or two more. So the entire idea is around Hindus. When other religions come in, I think they just get in below the third layer or something. And this is something you could specially see in the current regime. After the Modi government got in power, 
all of a sudden all these Muslim lynchings were happening, right? For no reason. Yeah. Other than just hatred. So that again is because they think of them as lesser. Right. I think it's also like their party's entire basis is to is based on religion, right? They're just for Hindus and they don't care about other religions. Yeah, their entire basis in the superiority of Hinduism, right? Right. Then you think of that and then you compare it to Nazis. Where's the difference? Yeah, exactly. You know, like when Modi came to power, I was like, the way he's operating, like, I won't be surprised if he becomes a dictator. And I was like, what are you saying? Like, shut up. And I was like, okay, fine. Maybe I just don't know enough about politics. But that could happen. Because the way they It's definitely going that way. Yeah, right. Recently, apparently, a lot of like laws were passed or bills were passed in like one and a half hour discussion that happened. So that tells you like there's no room for debate. Nobody can challenge anything anymore. Of course, they would be shut up. Like comedians are being thrown into jail. They are getting threatened. What does that tell you? It's definitely not a democracy anymore. And people have tried to point out similarities between the Nazi regime and what's happening in India. But they are just so strong right now that people just can't say anything. Right, exactly. But, of course, like caste and religion, they get fueled by politics as well. I mean, in today's world, I feel like that is the only thing. Politics is the only thing that's fueling caste and religious bias and religious discrimination, I think. Yeah, I agree. But, you know, as common people, we also play a huge role. Like, we have a responsibility of getting awareness and changing our thought process towards all of these pre-existing notions and inherent bias. Coming back to the book as well, Isabel Wilkerson also says that we have this inherent bias against people from subordinate castes that we might not even realize. Because pretty soon in your life, you know, like even though you are from a dominant caste in your own country, pretty soon in your life, you see yourself as a subordinate caste in front of the other dominant caste in the world. And then you start realizing that bias. For instance, when I was in India, I used to love white people, like their skin and hair. They're so glamorous, you know, (laughs) and also because they are so glamorized in India. (laughs) And then I moved to the US and honestly, for a little while, I truly believed that white people were smarter in all aspects than us. I actually truly believed that they were the higher species of humans. Like I used to talk to my mom about this. I know it seems weird to say, but I would see their confidence and the demeanor in which they would speak to us. And I would think, wow, I wish I was a white person. I think that's just the post-colonial effect that all Indians have. And an effect that is consistently solidified with help of media. Because if you see movie, the hero is the white guy. The person who has discovered something is the white guy. Partially because a lot of white men took credit from marginalized communities when they discovered things. In history, everywhere we just see white people discovering things, white people doing things. So that definitely plays a role. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, pretty soon you realize that, okay, so they are not smarter than us. They just exude confidence because that's the only thing they have because of generations of it being grilled into them. Definitely. They're just so entitled. They're made to believe that, that they deserve everything, they can get everything. And they also get access to better resources and education because of these systemic privileges. And Isabel also says the same thing, that people have often been assigned the roles of CEOs, quarterbacks, coaches, directors of films, presidents of college or countries, not because they are good leaders, but because they are from dominant castes. 
come to think of it, that's what happens all the time. You see a white person being promoted to an executive role and you're like, oh yeah, definitely, you know, he deserves that. I'm sure he's so smart. But only when you start realizing that there have been systems in place that support him. And I'm just going to say him here because it's almost always a white man. Like, you know, there have been systems in place to support him mentally, physically, emotionally and financially. Only then you realize why this is a pattern. Why is there a pattern that white men seem to be all at the highest levels of hierarchy at workplaces, in politics, in leadership positions that matter? And honestly, now when I see white guys talking in the media, giving their opinions on the how the future of the world should be, my first instinct is like, you know, uh, another white guy thinking he knows everything. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, I'm sick of seeing white men in power everywhere, talking like they know everything, like they rule the world. And yes, I might be generalizing, right? But I don't care. Well, it is true for a good majority. And I do want to give credit to their ancestors who were definitely cunning that they created a system to withhold resources from everyone else and give their own generations a step up, the effects of which are exponential by this day. Whether we talk about generational wealth, the connections, the network they have, or even designing this corporate world that we all work in, in a way that it mainly works for the white man. I remember this book, Invisible Women, Data Bias in the World Designed for Men. Yeah, she said me the same too. Thing. That depressed yeah. me so much. I know, yeah. And you know, that needs to change. In the end, even in this book, Isabel says that it is the actions or inactions of ordinary people that keep the mechanism of the caste running. The people who shrug their shoulders at the latest police killing the people who laugh off the coded put-downs of marginalized people shared at the dinner table and say nothing for the fear of alienating an otherwise beloved uncle, or the people who sit in silence as a marginalized person, whether of color or a woman, is interrupted in a meeting, her ideas dismissed for fear of losing caste. Each of these keeping intact the whole caste system that holds everyone in its grip. And you know, this reminded me, I just have to add one more thing because... <laughs> I have experienced it just recently. I was on Clubhouse and we were having a discussion about Silicon Valley and its toxic masculinity. And I brought up this topic that, that you know, all the infrastructure has been developed in the world, like transportation, healthcare, etc. are actually developed only by men and for men. Mm-hmm. There have been no data taken to cater to women. And there was this woman who is supposedly a very successful startup founder. She's an Indian immigrant living in Silicon Valley. She's in tech. You know, and she said to me, you know, I don't think of it so negatively. I believe that the change is coming. And I was thinking to myself, wow, like this is exactly an example of the kind of evading mentality that Isabel Wilkerson is talking about. I felt what this woman was trying to tell me is that I am pessimistic and it actually felt like a personal attack. But sadly, you know, that's what always happens. You know me, I feel strongly about gender inequality and the social injustices that it causes. Sometimes when people tell me some anecdotes or some stories, I tend to identify some of the gaps based on gender biases. I've noticed that a lot of time I was being tagged as a negative person because of that. And it started to bug me. I questioned my thought process a lot. I even started believing that maybe I am a negative person. And then I stopped bringing up my opinions in groups. But now over time, I have actually learned that that reaction is never about me. It's about the discomfort that my words or the reality check has brought to these people 
who are not paying attention to the world, who are enjoying the privileges of being in the dominant gender, I guess they would just prefer it if I don't point out how it's affecting the people around them, even the people in their own lives. Right. And, you know, when someone starts making these personal attacks, instead of discussing the underlying topic, that's when the conversation ends. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. And I really like that, you know, the whole point of this book, of all the research that she has done, is to bring up these conversations, is to have discussions and to spread awareness. Just thinking of these things as negativity and ignoring it doesn't work and wouldn't work. And I love that Isabel ended the book on this note. Now it's time for brownie points. I would like to give one brownie point to the book because this is exactly the kind of book that we need in today's world. I love how she shares her experiences as well as research and compare it to Nazi Germany, US and India. You can see that she has put in a lot of work to stay true to the facts and learn about caste and race and how it manifests in different parts of the world. So definitely one brownie point for that. And I'll give it another brownie point for how insightful it is. Even though the book was painful to read at times, I've learned so much from this book about the history of humanity. I didn't know that Americans used to take planned photos and they kept souvenirs from all the lynchings of black men. Yeah. I still can't comprehend this level of cruelty and the dehumanization of a whole group of people based on color. That was really painful to read. What was even more mind-blowing to me was Nazis took inspiration from American laws and toned them down. Yes, I know. Oh my God, that is so shocking. That was really shocking to me. I know, I still can't believe it. It almost seems like somebody has written fiction. I know, it's so Germany has been portrayed as the worst thing that has happened to humanity. But after reading this book, I'm, I'm like, who are we to talk? So sad. So yeah, a brownie point for how much this book has taught me. And now before we end our episode, Kathy, what are you reading right now? I am reading The Secret Keeper of Jaipur by Alka Joshi. I finally got the time to pick that book up and it's amazing. And also it's a good break from cast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I need a really chill book. I think I'll pick some romance novel or something. Take me away from reality. (laughs) Yeah, I know. And I'm also reading Super Better by Jane McGonigal still. What are you reading? I recently picked a book about migraines because I have chronic migraines. It's called The Migraine Brain. I've only read like 20%, but I'm learning a lot. And that's why I feel like kind of dumb that with the amount of reading that I do, it never occurred to me that I should read a book about migraines. (laughs) (laughs) And along with that, I'm also reading Tiny Habits by BJ Fogg. I don't know. I feel like I'm a junkie for all these habit books. (laughs) So I found a third one. Oh, nice. How is it? What is it about? I think it's very similar to Atomic Habits so far, just a different way of writing. Like make tiny changes, attach it, like a habit stacking thing, attach it to some other Uh task and do it. But I'm hoping maybe there's one or two things that I haven't learned before. Right. Okay. That's all for today. For our next episode, we are going to discuss Sparks Like Stars by Nadia Hashimi. We hope you'll be reading with us. And until then, keep listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of Brown Girls Read Podcast. If you like what you hear, please leave us a 5-star rating and a comment. You can support us at anchor.fm slash browngirlsread slash support. 
Your support will allow us to continue this podcast and bring more episodes to you. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Instagram, Brown Girls Read Pod, and Brown Girls Read One on Twitter. If you have book recommendations for us, you can leave us a comment or message on our social media, and you can also subscribe to us on YouTube for more content.